You ready? You're hyped. Episode one, here we go. Oh, yeah. I need you to sound more hyped than that. Uh, this is, I'm autistic, leave me alone. <laughs> Sounding, <laughs> asking people to sound hyped is ableist. Uh, that Absolutely. is... <laughs> 100%. your favourite source for thoughts about Christianity, the UK, and uh, really, really wanting to eat the rich. I am Ben Molyneux Hetherington. My pronouns are he, him. Who do I have with me today? Uh, my name is Adam Spears. My pronouns are also he, him. Welcome aboard, Adam. I don't know why I said who do I have with me today. This is the first episode proper, and also you're the only person who hosts this with me. But great to have you. How are you feeling yeah, man, I'm 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 looking forward to getting into this. We are going to talk a little bit about the eternal wall of answered prayer. But first, I've got a brand new segment. All the segments are brand new because it's episode one. This segment is going to be called "What Else Is On My Mind Grapes." That's right. We are doing a segment of "What Else Is On My Mind Grapes." What I particularly enjoy about this segment is not only is that an obscure Thirty Rock reference, it's even obscure to half the podcast because Adam hasn't seen Thirty. Jack Welch has such unparalleled management skills they named Welch's grape juice after him because he squeezes the Swedish juice out of his workers' mind grapes. Adam, Adam Spears, what is on your mind grapes? My mind grapes? I think probably, um, oh, Barbados. Barbados are getting rid of the Queen. As as I saw someone tweet earlier, republicanism is a sin. So we are now (laughs) condemning Barbados. Dude, like I'm an anarchist, so I agree. I'm <laughs> I'm here for that. Like there's <laughs> Republican. I'm not a Republican, man. We don't like the state. Yep. There's many different types of reptile on Barbados, but they've just got rid of one of the biggest. <laughs> All right, no man, we are not QAnon. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, are we not and we're not doing reptile discourse, lizard people discourse. <laughs> yeah, welcome welcome our first guest on the show, David Icke. <laughs> oh good (laughs) cool what's been on my mind grapes is brexit i tried to keep it off my mind grapes because everything about it is terrible from every aspect and every perspective but i've been particularly grieved recently by uh, the amount of people saying wow i never thought i'd see the day when britain would just willingly break international law and i've got to say did i (laughs) did i hallucinate the iraq war i think you might have done man I don't know what it seems to me like maybe we've done it before. I mean, also, as someone who works with refugees, let me tell you, we do it pretty much every day. Our approach to international law when it comes to refugees is uh, see if we get caught. We're having a bit of a debate, aren't we, Adam, about whether we can bring ourselves to do a Brexit episode because it's probably quite interesting. uh, But also, uh, you don't want to think about Brexit at all. If we're doing a Brexit episode, I'm leaving the podcast, man. That's it. I'm just putting that out there. Gone. All right. Two birds, one stone. Happy days. <laughs> Episode one, and we've already... Yeah. yeah. You're already making ultimatums. We love it. The other oh, thing on, on my mind grapes is, as I've written in the ro- notes, Rona be coming. And I think the particular thing I wanted to note 
is the fact that churches are still allowed to meet, which I know a lot of Christians are celebrating, and I get where it comes from. But uh, all I'm going to say is that uh, everything else on that list was stuff that earns money. If the Conservative government puts you in the same list as things that are running the economy and earning money for lots of rich people, maybe we want to consider whether we're doing church right. We've got a problem, man. And I'll tell you something, we've just gone into... So my area, I'm in the northeast, and as we record this, we've literally today just gone into like localised lockdown again. Oh, yeah, of course you have, yeah. So I, I don't even know if we're allowed to meet in church. I assume we are because we're allowed to go into shops. So, mm. yeah, it's all it's just bullshit, man. Like, the priorities are so <laughs> skewed. Yeah, I think that'll probably do for now because we have a bunch of stuff to talk about, about the eternal wall of answered prayer. Yay. Uh, so I've got the article from The Guardian, so I'm just going to have a little little read through. Oh, I, oh, so it's been a long time since I've used The Guardian on my laptop. <laughs> to I thought you were going to say it's been a long time since you've read The Guardian because it's so liberal. I mean, also yes, but no, I mean, a lot <laughs> of the time it's about the best you can get. So I will read from The Guardian. This is uh, Eternal Wall of Answer Prayer Outside Birmingham Gets Go Ahead. An enormous Christian monument, more than twice the size of the Angel of the North, is to be built on the outskirts of Birmingham. Fulfilling a vision its instigator says came from God. The eternal wall of answered prayer will be constructed using a million bricks, each representing a prayer for a member of the public and its outcome. The aim is to encourage and inspire people going through the storms of life, said Richard Gamble, the project's chief executive. The £9.3 million project will be built on a 10-acre Greenbelt site near Coles Hill on the outskirts of Birmingham, donated by Lord Edmonston, a billionaire businessman, Conservative Party donor, and evangelical Christian. Uh, I think we have to pause there and say that is a, a heck of a list of three things to be. I mean, like, do we need to say any more? We could just end the podcast there, right? Yeah, yeah. A billionaire businessman, Conservative Party donor, and evangelical Christian. You know you are not doing well when the least bad thing in the list of attributes is evangelical Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So the planning committee unanimously endorsed the scheme. The eternal wall of answered prayer will be 51 metres high dwarfing the 20 meter height of anthony gormley's angel of the north in gateshead that's not far from you is it no i go through i go past that quite a lot man so you, are you feeling a bit jealous about this is this like a well man i'm i'm just always there for more christian architecture to to make our heritage um known in this nation to be honest we will we will get back to that idea <laughs> there's an app of course there's an app there's always an app they're expected to attract three hundred thousand vis- visitors a year which is quite a lot so this is richard gamble talking about it we're trying to make hope visible and provoke a conversation about prayer everyone goes through storms in life and hope is one of the greatest antidotes to anxiety and fear 16 years ago i felt god speak to me and give me the idea i spent 10 years wrestling with that then six years ago, I said, okay, let's see if we can make this happen. Can I just say that? I feel like he needs to pull his finger out. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah, a and, 16 and, years, man. Yeah, and let's be honest, right? Like, if you're spending 16 years on, on this and you haven't even built a brick yet, like, imagine what you could be doing. You know, imagine, like... Yeah. 
actually if you did something worthwhile. There's been some pushback to the scheme. He said, some people think we shouldn't be doing this, but when you explain it to them, the vast majority of people are more positive. We say we're a secular nation, but most Christian organizations reported a massive spike in interest during lockdown and people Googling about prayer. Even though we operate as a secular nation, many of us turn to prayer in times of crisis. The cost of the project is expected to be raised from substantial donations from wealthy individuals plus crowdfunding. We've had some fairly hefty donations already, but a lot of it will come from ordinary people giving small amounts, said Gamble. So it's meant to start next year, and they're going to complete it in 2022. The reason I picked this out to start with is that I think it's a good a good example of a way of getting into some of the ways in which capital and Christianity are entwined in the UK. So I think we yeah. should begin with that. Yeah, and, 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 and also just very quickly, since when is the UK a secular nation? Yeah, I, I mean, we have an established church. Man, I wrote my I wrote my master's dissertation on the disestablishment of the Church of England. So like, this is, this is it for me. Like he's, yeah, I don't know what yeah. he's... What, what he's been smoking crack probably oh <laughs> uh, by the way if any lawyers are listening to this this is all satire and parody everything that we're saying is satire <laughs> and parody please do not sue us i don't mean anything i say ever yeah even when absolutely I'm not recorded yeah 100 yeah. percent. so as always with these things i think a good starting point follow the yeah. money always follow the money We'll start with Lord Edmonston. So, uh, whipping this from Wikipedia, Bob Edmonston became a millionaire, a uh, billionaire he is now, through his company's IM Group, a car importer, and IM Properties. In He was made redundant from somewhere, used his uh, redundancy payment to start his company. He later branched out into property and vehicle finance. IM Group is now managed by his son, Andrew Edmiston, which I imagine was quite a difficult recruitment process with lots of competition. So uh, one of the things he does is he is the sponsor of the Grace Academy schools in the Midlands and is chair of governors for them. And in 2013, it turned out that they were essentially still running a Section 28 policy. Oh um, my God, Really? <laughs> So Section 28, for those of you who don't know, is basically a bit of Thatcherite legislation that banned the promotion of homosexuality from teachers in schools. So it's basically a way of stopping teachers teach about LGBTQ issues in school. One of the few genuinely and uncontroversially good things that the Blair administration did was revoke it. But it turns out that a bunch of schools, uh, well, a bunch of academies were still running it because academies can get away with a lot more. And Grace Academy said explicitly the governing body will not permit the promotion of homosexuality. So that's what he thinks. He also said that if equal marriage was made law, there was nothing stopping incestuous marriage. The first time he was nominated to the House of Lords, it was blocked by the vetting body because the inland revenue said that his company had been in a tax dispute. I rather suspect that means he wasn't paying his tax properly. Mate, what, like, what is it? With, like, First of all, why is every evangelical organization determined to just hate on gay people like i i say this as someone who was evangelical for a long time what drove me like i'm not like i still i still draw from evangelicalism right but like what drove me away ultimately was was that their their theology didn't seem to like well, it just didn't seem to be loving man like why is this always the thing that they go to 
Well, yes, ex- exactly. This is not the last homophobic evangelical Christian we're going to meet on this journey. <laughs> no, uh, I so this is believe it. This is from The Guardian in 2007. The Grace Academy in Solihull is sponsored by Bob Edmiston, a car dealer and property developer who has donated more than two million to the Tory party. The school awarded three contracts to the IM Group, a company owned by Mr. Edmiston, without asking for bids from other organisation. It has also paid £53,000 in the past two years to Christian Vision, a charity founded by Mr. Edmiston, an evangelical Christian, to promote the religion around the world. Accounts for his 1,350-pupil Grace Academy show that the school paid the IM Group £281,000 over two years to organise the payment of wages to school staff and for other quote-unquote management services. I don't know if you remember, just dropping back but the im group is a car company i don't know much about school payrolls or school quote-unquote management services (laughs) but by and large car importers are not the people i think are best suited to doing that no well that's 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 the nature of academies though isn't it you know yeah i mean it's such a it's such a nonsense system um bringing in companies and 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 even like when you take it down to the like tiny little things as well you see the growing corporatization of our education system. So like even to the point now where teachers are expected to wear a suit and tie, like a business suit, like literally specifically says a business suit. They want us all to either be businessmen or to go and work in a factory on, you know, they, they don't want anything else. It's nonsense. And so you end up with a whole bunch of kids, like, cause you can't like, there's no one size fits all of education. Right. But that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah. So yeah, we've got basically Lord Edmiston, a homophobe who seems to enjoy avoiding his taxes. Allegedly, allegedly. Uh, allegedly, but he probably does. Most rich people do. He definitely uh, does. But allegedly. Allegedly, lawyers, yeah, alleged, does, yeah. Everything, I'm just going to say allegedly <laughs> at the end of the podcast, and that will cover everything, all right? <laughs> and also, allegedly, basically uses his schools he's the chair of governors as a personal slush fund to make money for his companies and charity so who would have thought we've never seen that anywhere he's the guy who donated his land but not only has he donated land he seems to have passed uh, some of his other expertise over so i had a bit can we can we talk about the land quickly as well yeah we can talk about the land like the land is greenbelt Right. And it was passed unanimously. So you've got to ask, like, who is on that council who's passing that unanimously to build on Greenbelt land? Jesus weeps for Gaza. He sees the pain and suffering of the 1.9 million people who have been forced to leave their homes without access to nutritious food, clean water, decent shelter. He hears the cries of the 25,000 orphaned children. He is with all who mourn the 250 people killed every single day. Christians for Palestine UK is a group of Christians who are calling for an immediate ceasefire in Palestine. We don't pretend to have all the answers, but are united in our prayers hope and action for equality, peace and justice for all the peoples of the Holy Land. 
Together, we are organising a Christian presence at the National Marches for Palestine and Local Days of Action, where we've been joined by siblings from Sabil Kairos, Pax Christi and a whole range of Christian churches. We urge you to join us to act in solidarity with the people of Palestine and call for a permanent ceasefire and just peace. The Very Reverend Canon Richard Sewell, Dean of St George's College in Jerusalem, says, I warmly welcome the newly formed group, Christians for Palestine UK. Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank need to see the solidarity of Christians in the UK and they will be encouraged to see your commitment to stand up for them in their time of terrible suffering. To find details of local actions or to join the Christian bloc at a national march, follow Christians for Palestine UK on Instagram and Facebook or email christiansforpalestineuk at gmail.com. Join us as we call for a ceasefire now. Yeah, I haven't been able to find much information about who's on that council. But yes, it does seem... It's meant to be quite difficult to build on Greenbelt land. So I had a bit of a deep dive into the various finances of the Eternal Wall of Answered Prayer. So they currently have a 12-person staff team, according to the website. Can we just do a brief digression? Because I want to read to you some of the job titles of the people that <laughs> work for them. We've got, I'm not going to give them names, but we've got someone whose job is the Head of Answered Prayer, which would seem like God's job. <laughs> Like, what? <laughs> I didn't even see this. I haven't even seen this. What? The head of answered prayer. Oh, yeah, I can see it now. Oh, yeah, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, how many then, of these are like, sorry, man, I'm just going through them. And like, how many of them are like, prayer this and prayer that? Well, yeah. So then we've got a prayer coordinator. So what I'm not sure is whether the prayer coordinator answers the head of answered prayer or whether the prayer coordinator coordinates the prayer and then when it gets answered, has to hand it over to the head of answered prayer. Um, no, I think I think the prayer coordinator is is the one who answers the prayer and then the head of answered prayer is the one who is like down from her maybe. Oh, okay. The, pra- right. the prayer coordinator is basically God. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have two people whose jobs are just intercessor. Okay. Which, I mean, that sounds like a pretty sweet job. Yeah, What man. are you doing, man? Intercessing. You appear to be playing FIFA. I am intercessing. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, man. I mean, let's say, like, from the here out, we are a pro-prayer podcast, right? Prayer is good. I like prayer, you know? But, like... What is this, man? Like, what is this? I think there's something about... We can talk about this at some point in more depth, but I think prayer is utilised ideologically as a way of hiding a lot of things, which I think is kind of really devalues prayer in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, And, And I think that's like one of the things we have to talk about specifically with this being a wall of answered prayer as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like there's an I that's ideologically loaded. Oh yeah. So yeah, they've got this twelve person staff team, but this is a fairly big expansion that seems to only happen this year. According to their twenty nineteen financial report, they only had four staff members, all part time, and they paid out just over thirty six thousand pounds in salaries. So they're obviously keeping their staff costs down. 
so now I've done a bit of a deep dive. So hold fire with me here. This is going to be a bit of a long one. So there are three senior staff there. We've got Richard Gamble, who is the guy who had the vision. Oh, that's one for allegedly. The vision, allegedly. (laughs) What a place to put it. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Richard Gamble is the CEO. Then you've got Dave Silber, Operations Director, and Phil Laybourne, Development Director. So those are kind of the three the senior members of staff. And I think we need to give them some credit here because unusually, in this case, only one of their wives is employed by the organization, which is significantly oh, wow. less than most Christian organizations. Uh, that's Karen Laybourne is a finance officer. Um, oh, I'm impressed by that. I, I might donate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, usually it'd be all three and and their kids as well so uh yeah. well they, and they would they would list them in the same thing as well well yeah like always the man the man first well obviously yes yeah so then i've got this from their 2019 financial report there are payments made to related parties including reimbursed expenses totaling fifty nine thousand one hundred and twenty six pounds made up as follows £42,238 to R&S Gamble Consultancy, of which Richard Gamble, Chief Executive of the Wall of Answered Prayer, is a director included within consultancy. £8,953 to Burning Plough Limited, of which David Silber, Chief Operations Officer, is a director included within administration. And 7,935 to Phil Laybourne Consulting, who performed the role of executive director, included within administration. So I've had a look. Burning Plough, which is the second one there, is a private limited company. It was set up in June 2019, and it's owned, all the shares are owned exclusively by David Silber and his wife, Catherine. According to Companies House, its role is to do event catering and education support services. There's not a lot of other information available on it, but that's still better than the other two named there, because I cannot find any evidence of them existing at all. So it's possible that the Phil Laybourne Consulting is a sole trader, so isn't on company's house. But Richard Gamble is listed as a director for R&S Gamble Consultancy, so it can't really be a sole trader because you wouldn't have a director then. The only thing I can find is Richard Gamble Consultancy Limited, uh, which had Richard and his wife Sarah as the only shareholders, but was dissolved in 2014. So what you've got here is basically a bunch of money being given to consultancy and administration fees that are going pretty directly into the pockets of the three senior members of staff and you've also got the main consultancy seeming not to actually exist (laughs) i mean are you telling me ben the eternal wall of answered prayer or whatever it's called might just be a front to get more money well this is where it gets interesting because because I think particularly when it comes to the Richard Gamble consultancy or the R&S Gamble consultancy stuff, it looks a lot like how you would structure things to avoid paying personal income tax more than you needed to. No, they wouldn't. Now, I would not like to make an accusation here because I cannot prove that. But if I were to structure this in such a way that I got paid and avoided as much income tax as possible, this is probably what I would do. Yeah. So in 2018, the Wall of Prayer paid £20,113 to R&S Gamble Consultancy. And in 2017, it just paid Richard Gamble directly £15,116. So for those of you who like their maths, 
Between 2017 and 2019, they have paid Richard Gamble, the CEO and founder, over £75,000 on top of whatever he earns as the CEO, averages out at about £25,800 a year. So that's a fair bit of cash, but I mean, you can't you can't live off that sort of money, can you? So, <laughs> so to, make, to make to make ends meet, Richard is also writing a book. Oh, it's called Remember, revealing the eternal power of answered prayer. It's coming out next April, and I think it's fair to assume that he probably got paid in advance for it. He seems to be well, doing all right out of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's like every like Christian. Not every Christian, but like so many Christian charities and companies, like this is how they operate. Like to to them, trying to avoid, not evade, but avoid tax is they they'll probably see that as like good financial accounting. Yeah. You know, like and they're they're being good stewards with the money that God has given them. Like hundred hundred percent allegedly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> allegedly uh, <laughs> but yeah it does seem like there's a lot of creative accountancy going on here and certainly some interesting questions around why they seem to be playing to a business that doesn't exist uh, why is that like i mean we should probably talk about like why that's bad as well though right because like a lot of people are going to say well why why shouldn't they do that why shouldn't they avoid tax especially if they're trying to you know match their donations or, or give money to charity as well why is it bad to pay less tax if you're going to pay more or pay some to charities well i think that the, the most important thing to say is well we're talking about avoiding tax here that the, yeah. the eternal wall of answered prayer is not it's, it's a charity so it doesn't pay business rates or, or business tax corporation tax what we're talking about here is potentially allegedly the people who are getting paid to run this charity, avoiding their personal income tax liability. So we're not talking about a charity avoiding tax. We're talking about an individual person avoiding tax. And I think that's pretty... I mean, if nothing else, as someone who pays tax and earns less than this guy's average got as uh, payouts to his consultancy, it makes me pretty pissed off. Yeah, and I think like, I think it's really important to talk about the individual individualism of this as well, right? This this whole idea that well, it's, it's a very like libertarian idea, right? You know, the idea that we pay less and less tax because people are going to support each other. There's no evidence for that in a capitalist system. It's just not going to happen, man. Like this is why people end up destitute is because you have an ideology that says, well, people should, you know, taxation is theft and people should give freely. And like, don't get me wrong, right? I'm an anarchist. Right, I don't even want there to be money, you know. But all the time we're living under this shitty system. Like, if you're avoiding tax, that's scummy, man. That's scummy. Yeah, I think I think there's a you know a moral duty to pay the tax that looks after the less fortunate. And you know, by all accounts, this guy is doing pretty well financially. You know, he might not be a millionaire, but well, he certainly earns. But most a- of us. Most of us can't even dream of like the sort of money that he's probably getting. Yeah, I mean, he earns a lot more than either of us, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, the other thing I picked up is that they tithed 10% of all their donations to Presence Ministries. I kind of want to pause there and say, I kind of find it weird that you would feel it's okay to tithe your donations. I mean, leaving aside, obviously, the fact that tithing is a, you know, a nonsense way of 
making poor people give as much money to the church as possible. The idea that you could take 10% of the money people have given you and just give it to a totally different organisation with different things, aims, yep. objectives, that seems pretty unethical to me. Are they, are they upfront about that? Uh, I can't find anyone on their website, but it is in their financial reporting for last year. Wow. Okay. So you have to look on the Charity Commission website and delve into their reports to find it. Mate, it just gets murkier and murkier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, and what I've written here in the notes is it's all a big circle jerk and everyone is on the take. I probably should say allegedly at the allegedly. end of that. Uh, I really want to, like, to be honest, I really want to ask these people, like, I guess um, Richard Gamble in particular, like, a genu- like genuine question. I want to ask him, is it okay to buy a Learjet if you get, like, loads of money from people donating to your project like is it okay to make enough money to buy a jet to jet around the world how does he feel about that how does he feel about all these televangelists like would he do that and i think that's a fair question man and it is a fair question because I, i would argue that the same principles but on a much lower level is what's happening in a lot of these places So uh, endorsements is what I want to talk about next. Just as a little aside, they're very proud of the fact that Bethel Church in California is endorsing. And I just want to take this opportunity to say that Bethel Church sucks. They are pretty mask off because they are pretty wishy-washy about most of their theology. They don't really have a lot of kind of firm theological convictions, but you know what they do think? Fuck gay people. (laughs) Fuck gay people. They're very... Yeah, I think the thing about Bethel is is that... They don't say much in and of themselves as a church, but when you look at who their leaders are and what they're saying, like it's awful. Yeah, they're big Trump like, people. I mean, who was like one of them? Like ran as a as a Republican candidate as well, and I think well, lost, which is good. the other thing that I've seen about before, and that I you know I haven't verified myself hundred percent, but people have suggested that they basically have a pretty iron grip on the local council. Um, oh, really? they're such a, well wow. they're such a massive church they eventually essentially have a huge block vote and yeah. can put whoever they want so I, I, that doesn't surprise me uh, there's a lot of that isn't there yeah yeah uh, it's great to have a theocracy so yeah that's one of their endorsements they're a big fan of homophobic Trump supporting church Bethel but they also have a bunch of other endorsements uh, loads of them are from Christian organizations Christians Against Poverty Bible Society all the weird Christian media companies that are always dying and running out of money and begging you for more money they've also got a retired major general of some sort and a millionaire construction businessman so you know good people <laughs> but i wanted to have a little look at some of the political figures that are on there so you've got lord edmiston we've talked about before there's also yeah. baroness sal brinton she's a lord in the lib dems adam without looking at the notes can you tell me what her most recent position was uh, what's her name? Sal Brinton. Sal Brinton. I don't know her. Is she uh, Was she in the shadow cabinet um, in the coalition government? So until a few weeks back, she was actually the acting co-leader of the Lib Dems. Was she actually? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Her, her and Ed Davey were both the acting co-leaders. I can't find much about her online because the Lib Dems are eternally irrelevant. Yeah, and like, I just want to say here, 
I have less respect for the Lib Dems than I have for the Tories. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because Tories, they got the courage of their convictions. Yeah, like you can trust a Tory to be a Tory. Yeah, you know, a Tory's going to screw you over. A Lib Dem is going to smile at you and stab you in the back. Amen. So the other person that I picked up was Stephen Timms offering his endorsement. She's a Labour MP. He was the Shadow Employment Minister when equal marriage went through Parliament. And he was widely rumoured to have said he would resign from the Shadow Cabinet if it wasn't a free vote. Eventually, he abstained on the equal marriage vote. You know, it's a classic manoeuvre when you don't want to support LGBTQ people, but know that it's a bad look to be blatantly homophobic when you're meant to be in the quote-unquote progressive party. (laughs) So as a quick aside, Stephen Timms was in the news earlier this year. He got stabbed by a Muslim woman who had been radicalised on the internet. It was life-threatening injuries, but he he pulled through. Uh, I just want to give you this quote. This is from an Evening Standard interview with him when he recovered from the injury. Given everything he has been through, he required surgery after the attack and was told by doctors he could have died without prompt medical attention. Mr. Timms is remarkably compassionate towards his attacker. I can't say that I feel better. I certainly could have done without what happened, but I appear to have made a full recovery and there doesn't seem to be any ill effects, he said. However, he's not quite ready to forgive. I don't think at the moment forgiveness is really an issue because clearly there is no sense of regret, let alone remorse, he said. As I recall from the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, but only once they've expressed some regret or remorse. (laughs) Um, I just wanted to highlight what a weird theology that is. It is. And like, we don't like, yeah, I mean, you've got to be careful, haven't you? Because you don't want to be saying, well, this person got stabbed and like, obviously that's bad and we don't endorse, you know, stabbing, stabbing Labour politicians, even even if they still think the Iraq war was a good thing. That's very big of you to say, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But like, that is a weird theology. And, and it's not, you know, if you're stabbed, you're going to, you're going to have some stuff to deal with. Right. Yeah, I I don't want to, I'm not criticizing him for not being ready to forgive. Like it's going to take time for anyone to come to a place to forgive for that. But the idea that he doesn't feel the need to forgive because there's no regret or remorse. I just, it, it was a very odd theology yeah, yeah, that I've yeah. not come across That's before. It. Oh, have you not? Oh, man. Yeah, I have. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nonsense. But, I mean, obviously, yeah, we don't. We wouldn't endorse like trying to force people to forgive people because I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think it works, works that way. But you can't just in, invent a theology on that. You know, you can't try and justify. Like, if you're not ready to forgive, just say, I'm not ready to forgive. It's really yeah. difficult. Fine. Like, 100%. Yeah, no one's going to blame you for that. But like, don't try and like twist Jesus's words or or twist like the faith to come up with something completely contrary to what Jesus said. Anyway, a bunch of homophobes are endorsing as well as political figures from all three major parties. Also endorsing is the mayor of the West Midlands, Andy Street. He doesn't seem, from what I can see, to identify as being of any particular faith, but he is also Britain's first openly gay, directly elected mayor, which is interesting to me because he obviously seems quite happy to, you know, stick his name to this. He is quoted as saying in the article, I am delighted Eternal Wall of Answered Prayer has now finally got planning permission and work can get underway. It's an incredibly ambitious, stunning project project and is a landmark for the Midlands. It has been a long process, but this landmark will serve as a place of hope for many. 
and one that will help us remember the Christian heritage of our nation. I want to suggest that there's two things that mean that an openly gay mayor and a bunch of homophobes can be on the same page. One is the money, 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 money. You know, really, this is intended to be some sort of economic boost. They're expecting it to be a profitable thing moving forward. You know, they want lots of visitors and lots of money coming in. But I also think that this idea of the Christian heritage of our nation is something that is quite important in smoothing over a lot of differences. The aims of the wall officially are to reveal Christ to the nation. Um, he has been hiding. He was behind his curtain. Uh, and, and in my head, he is springing out of the closet and revealing himself to the nation. Ignite a faith for prayer on a national level. Preserve the Christian heritage of our nation. So, yeah, there's obviously this big thing about Christian heritage. Adam, what the hell is Christian heritage? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Christian heritage comes from this idea that a country is or or can be uh, in some way Christian. And, you know, we we could talk about this for hours, right? But the point is, it's a bit of a problem because Jesus is quite explicitly anti-nationalist he's not just anti like the roman imperial powers of of his day but he's quite explicitly um, anti-jewish nationalism as well he rejects those kinds of barriers and and so does the early church and so if we're having countries that are trying to say well we are christian whatever that may mean then you've got to answer some questions about how exactly that can possibly coincide with with what jesus says and does on that matter. And, you know, there's a lot more we could say about that. And there's a lot of cases where Jesus is doing things that are, you know, if you dig a little bit deeper, anti-nationalist and the cursing of the fig tree, for example. But you're not going to, you're not going to get that with the official line of, of these places that are saying, well, we want to highlight our, our Christian heritage as a nation. Yeah, and and I think there are two things that are are kind of happening when they're talking about Christian heritage. One is an attempt to appeal to nostalgia and some sort of sense of how things should be in order to retain some power in a world that wants to increasingly take power away from religions, or at least the most overt forms of power. So I think it's an appeal to power from a Christian perspective. But more broadly, I think that both Christian heritage and this kind of very vague, woolly notion of Judeo-Christian or Christian heritage, I think the subtext of that is always not Muslim, or or if you want to be even more specific, the subtext is always white. Yeah. I think there is a very strong racialized element to when we talk about Christian heritage. And you can really see that, you know, the people that talk about Christian heritage aren't just slightly eccentric people who want to build a giant monument to prayer they're your tommy robinsons and your far-right movers of this world are yeah. are big on we are a christian nation so i think you know when we read christian heritage we should probably just read the word whiteness yeah man and 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 as well you know we shouldn't be surprised by this really because any any monument yeah any significant christian monument has that at its core you know, you've got to think, why did they build massive cathedrals? I, I live quite close to Durham Cathedral, right? Not close as in the same town, but like in, in the region. And Durham Cathedral was built by an occupying power to make a statement about their right to power. 
And so whenever we build these monuments, these are not value neutral. You know, it's not like we're just saying prayer is good or even just answered prayer is good. There's always a subtext to that. There's always something else about power going on. And, and the important thing, I think, for me on this is Jesus is not about being seen, actually. He's not about grasping power. He's not about being in power. He's about kenosis. He's about self-emptying, about giving away his power. And so on a fundamental level, whatever you think about prayer and, and giving hope to people, we can, we can say, you know, that's maybe even that it's a good thing that we want to give people hope. But actually, Jesus is quieter than that. Jesus is there quietly giving away his power and telling people not to tell people that he's done these miracles, right? Even if we're talking about the, the Great Commission, you know, that's not, that's not this ticket to go around telling everyone that Jesus is, is the biggest and best thing ever. It's about how we live our lives. It's about coming together as a community. And yes, it's about coming together as a community and, and Jesus being a center of that. I believe that. But it's about how we do that as well. I think that's a pretty good place to end. As always, it's about money and it's about power. Uh, and if you don't start with money and power, when you're looking at these things and trying to understand them, you're always going to miss the root of what's going on, I think. And if that isn't the central thesis of our podcast, then I'm not sure what is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for sticking to all the way the end of Two Idiots Rambling on our very first episode of the podcast. If you have any feedback or thoughts or comments or anything you'd like to say to us, declarations of love to Adam, that sort of thing, uh, <laughs> you can get hold of us in a number of different ways. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bread and rosaries. You can find us on Twitter at bread underscore rosaries. You can email us bread and rosaries all one word at gmail.com you can find us all the usual podcasty places adam where can people find you easiest place to find me is on twitter i am at commie x-i-a-n brilliant and uh, you can also find me on twitter at molino m-o-l-o-n-o where i will be continuing to do bad tweets thank you very much adam and i will talk to you soon cheers thanks everyone is it holding Man. <laughs> I mean, depending yeah. on how brave I feel, I may or may not edit that bit out. <laughs>